This weekend, we're in the second part of our series called uh, World Life, and uh, we're talking about the revolution of hope today. And I touched on it a little bit last weekend as as we uh, did a message called Waiting on the World to Change. And we discovered that the world isn't waiting on itself to change. It's waiting for you and I as Christ followers to change the world. So I want to talk about how we do that. Again, being raised in church, uh, I would hear pastors and missionaries and evangelists come through. And you need to change your world. We need to win our world for Christ. We need to do this for the world. We need to. And nobody ever told me how. And I began to look at the Bible as more of a book of do's and don'ts of things that I could never attain to. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Uh, Instead of what it really is, it's a book about accounts and stories and application of how to do what God's asked us to do. And so today we're looking at probably the greatest change agent that's ever walked the planet. And the greatest example of changing our world, this revolution of hope, is Jesus Christ. And Jesus said the greatest way to change the world is by serving it. The greatest way to change this world that we live in is by serving it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served. Being the King of kings and the Lord of lords, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and be a ransom for many. You have to understand, in the first century, when Jesus is is talking here, we're going to look at his words in Matthew chapter 25 in just a second. He's speaking to a crowd of of Jewish believers and, and of Jewish skeptics. And basically, they thought that the Messiah would come and bring a political revolution that would turn into a social revolution that would outlay into an economic revolution. Because Israel, as with most of the world at that time, was under the Roman Empire. And so Israel felt like that when the the Messiah comes, he's going to establish the people. He's going to set the captives free. He's going to set at liberty. And they looked at everything from a political, social, and economic outlay. And so they thought that the Messiah would come and free them from the Roman government, that the Messiah would come and would would establish them as a world power, and and in doing so would elevate their social standing in the world, and in doing so it would would start an, an economic revolution. Jesus didn't do any of that. Because they were looking for... The power, they were looking from, from, from man's perspective. As human beings, as, as humanity, when we talk about changing the world, when you hear someone talking about changing the world, they're either talking about it from a political standpoint, from a social standpoint, or from an economic standpoint. If you're talking about changing the world politically, it may change for a while. It may get a little better. But as we've seen in history and we've seen in God's word, empires rise and empires fall. They come and they go. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. So political reform, it could last, it could last a while, but it's not going to last long. Maybe two or three centuries. Social reform, wow. That's been something that man's been struggling with since the beginning of time. Who's, who's number one? Who's on top? Who's it? Who's the powerhouse? The world that we live in says, hey, forget everybody else. Take care of yourself. Whoever has the biggest pile of cash, whoever's got the biggest pile of gold, you're the king. It's all about money. It's all about spinning wheels and making deals. It's all about making things happen. It's all about that. So be at the top of the mountain. Be king of the mountain. Crush your competition. Destroy anybody in your way. It doesn't matter who they are. Be ruthless. And be pragmatic at the, and, 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 and the end of it. It doesn't matter how you get there as long as you got there. And... Economic reform? Economists tell us that even if you took all the wealth of the world and you evenly distributed it within one generation, 
The people that are wealthy before you did the economic redistribution will be wealthy again, and the people that were poor will be poor again. Jesus said, the poor, the poor you'll have with you always. This is not going to change because it's the plight of humanity. But we're called to do something about it. And Jesus understood, listen, I'm not coming to establish Israel as a superpower in the world. I'm not coming to overturn the Roman government. I'm not coming to establish some political, social, economic system. I'm coming to do something greater than that. I'm coming to change the world. And you're going to do that by serving. And Jesus said that this service that we're going to give... It's going to be evaluated. It's going to be judged. Not only is it expected in life of a Christ follower, it's going to be evaluated. It's going to be judged. So let's look at it here. Matthew chapter 25, verse number 31. We began to read, And when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The right hand of the Father is always understood to be uh, grace and mercy. And the left hand of the Father is judgment. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, take your inheritance for the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Why are they coming? Well, he's going to explain it. Verse 35. It's not because they're special. It's because they've done something. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did, you see, when did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of one of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. See, the thing is, Jesus understands the plight of humanity. Us being human, our flesh, it's all about power. It's all about control. It's all about influence. It's all about that. And we have to crucify that part of our flesh. Because our spirit says we should, we should serve and we should give. And, and we should, because see, the way of the kingdom of, of the world is, is, is domination. The way of, of the kingdom of God is servanthood. The Bible says, Jesus said, if you want to be first, then you've got to be willing to be last. If you want to serve, then you've got to be willing to serve. Or be, be served, you've got to be willing to serve. If you want to receive, then you've got to give. It's opposite. It's upside down from the world. It goes completely against our grain as humanity. And Jesus understands, look, if I show up as Jesus Christ, as he says in verse number 31, coming in my glory with the angels sitting around my throne, and I ask something for you, of course you're going to do that. Right? If Jesus Christ showed up today in this service and says, here's what I want you to do. I want all of you to go on a mission trip. You would go on a mission trip because Jesus Christ just asked you to do that. If Jesus Christ showed up at your house and said, hey, I'm hungry. Could I come in and eat dinner? You would find him something. Maybe it's a lean cuisine, but you would get him something to eat. Why? Because it's the son of the living God. Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, the first and last, that which was and is and is coming forevermore shall be. And the angels of the Lord cry, holy, holy. We can go on and on for days, right? It's Jesus. And he knows that. So Jesus never presents himself in this powerful, throne-filled position because that appeals to our flesh. And we all want to be around that. We all want to do that, and we all want to serve Jesus. So Jesus comes the same way he came to this planet, with no reputation. Hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, and imprisoned. And how we respond to the least of our, of our world this isn't social gospel. This is the gospel. 
It's how we're responding to him. Now, he goes on to say in verse number 41 through 46, to those that are on the left hand, here's what happens. Then he'll say to those on the left, depart from me, for you are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, understand, hell, that's what he's talking about there, was never intended for humanity. Hell was not built for humanity. God's desire for you and I is heaven. But we are not rock'em, sock'em robots, and God doesn't control us from some cosmic joystick in the heavenlies. We have a choice. We are free moral agents, and we can choose what we want to choose. We can do what we want to do. But in the end, there will be a judgment based upon, not upon God, but upon how we respond, upon us. So that's just free. Okay, verse 42. I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't look after me. And they will answer. Same thing with, as with the righteous. Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick and in prison, and didn't help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the one of the, the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment with the righteous to eternal life. Whoa. He means business. How, not just the fact that we serve, but how we serve and who we serve and why we serve. It's a big deal. We're going to be evaluated or judged according to Scripture on how we serve the world. I didn't write the book. I'm just telling you what it says. How we serve humanity. How we serve those that are the least in the world. And how do you do that? How do we serve? How do we serve the world that we live in? Well, we've been talking about this year, giving and going. It says in this passage to give. Give food and water and clothing, etc. That's why we give to missions. Honestly, um, I can go and I can buy uh, food or clothing or, or whatever, but the amount of money that it would cost me as an independent individual to get through all the uh, taxes and all, through the governments and through all the things, even if I could get through it, would be astronomical as opposed to what it would cost for me to strategically link with a ministry like Convoy of Hope or another ministry, that any, any multitude of ministries that we, that we connect ourselves with to be able to supply that. They, they can take the same dollar that you and I would give personally and they can compound it by 10 or 20 times. It's got more power to it. It just makes sheer business sense. So as I am giving to these organizations, as I give next weekend to one day to feed the world, as I give to the poor next weekend one day of my income, whether I calculate that on a five-day work week or a seven-day work week, it doesn't really matter. When I give that, I am multiplying that effort over because I, it's, it's going to go further with them than it will be with me. And so that's why we do missions. Whether it's a missionary or missions organization or a project or whatever, we can do more and compound our efforts that way. Now, if it's someone around the corner, I can see a need and meet it. And if you see a need, don't call the church. You fix it. That's why God called you. That's why he spoke to you. You dropping your kids off at school and you see a child that you go, you can definitely tell that they are in need of clothing. Find out about the need and meet it. Do it anonymously. You see someone that you go, you see a single mom or you see someone that you go, they're probably really struggling. Find a need and meet it. You see a, a neighbor that's in your neighborhood, maybe it's an elderly individual and they can't get out and don't, don't have the mobility. Go shovel their snow. You got a 16-year-old son, send him out there. 14-year-old, get him out there. It's a good way to teach him. Amen. Don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. I'm serious. Serve. Teach servanthood. Teach our kids how to serve. You go and serve. 
See, because there's two groups of people in this room. There are people in this room that you have money to write a check. Money, it's easier for you to give of your money than it is of your time. What I would say to you is give of your time. You go, whoa, 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 don't you want money? Oh, I want everything you've got in your billfold and then some for missions. Yeah, right? But I'm talking about what you need to do. And there's some of you in this room and you go, dude, I, I, man, I don't have it. Really? I bet. I bet we could find $5 a coin somewhere in your car, somewhere in your house. Give me a vacuum cleaner, a metal detector, something. I bet we could figure out where we could cut one thing. And it's talking about sacrifice. And for you, you're going, ah, you squeeze onto the dollar bill so tight that George Washington, he, he, has, he has tear marks down his face, right? Because you just squeeze that dollar out. Because we like to think, well, I don't have anything. Do you realize that one billion people on this planet live on a dollar a day? One billion people. Two billion people live on two dollars a day. And when I show up the dollar, you're thinking, well, you can get at McDonald's for this. Hmm, let's think about the dollar menu. What do I get at Wendy's? I can get a free medium frosty. Man, no, a junior frosty. What is it? We're talking about people living on this a day. Puts it in a perspective. And go to the stranger and to the sick, to the imprisoned. Go. I mean, think about that. To the stranger. We're not talking about your friend. We're not talking about your buddy. We're not talking about, hey, this guy, I'm going to pay for the round of golf this time. Next time, he's going to pay for the round of golf. Or this guy has the ability to help me over here. This gal, she can help me over here. Or I give their kids clothes, but then they do this for us. And it, we're not talking about hooking each other up, right? We're talking about it at the end of the day going, a stranger, someone, I don't know what they have the ability to bring to the table. It's not a win-win situation. Uh, uh, it's, it's completely one-sided. It's completely me giving. It's, it's about me dropping, keeping up the tabs, and keeping up who's got what and when and where. And we paid for dinner last time. You guys paid for it this time. You, I tell you what, you guys get the movie, and we'll get dinner. Uh, we'll get popcorn. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, not talking about, I'm talking about going to people that you don't know, that you have no connection to, and going, I want to do something. I want to serve them. I'm talking about to the guy that gives you the bird going down 45. Yeah, that bird. And gives you the bird, and instead of just raging and going off to him, just smiling and saying, thank you, God bless you. Whatever, I don't know. Just be nice. To the person that cuts you off in the parking lot, just defer it to them. To the person that tries to cut you off in line, defer it to them. To the people that you deal with in, in the airline and uh, at the airports and all that kind of, I mean, just get whatever. Just, just, you know, hey, here, I'm just here to serve. I'm just going to be kind to you. To see someone that's in need and go, here, I can help you with this. Or, or you know what, you know, I, I, I want to do this for you. Or, or just, just acts of kindness towards people to see someone that's in need and just do something. That's what Jesus is talking about, strangers. People that have no ability to repay you, you don't know what type of influence or lack thereof that they have. You just feel the tug of the Holy Spirit. You know you should do something. You know you oughta and you coulda and you shoulda and you woulda. And so you do it for them. That's what he's talking about. So based on this passage, I just want to give you three, three words, three nouns, verbs, whatever you want to call them. It depends on how you, you say them, but that really ring to me out of this passage and why we do what we do to serve the world. And it does for me. First is love. When you talk about the stranger, I love other people because I have been loved. I can love the stranger, not because I'm wired that way, because I'm not. Neither are you. 
But I can love them unconditionally, or at least attempt to, because he's loved me unconditionally. Romans 5, 8 says that when we were still in our sin, that's when Christ died for us. That God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Wow. How can I not? How do I power up on people? See, love is, love is a verb. Love is an action. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's an action. It's an activity. And so when I give or when I go, when I serve people, I am loving them. This week, on the 23rd, you have an opportunity to partner with Life Church and with Adullam, and we're going to give an inner city, just basically serve people a Thanksgiving Day meal that would not normally get a Thanksgiving Day meal, and we're going to serve them. Because why? Because we've been blessed. We're going to be a blessing. I teach that to my girls all the time. We're blessed to be a blessing. There's no such thing as luck. We're not the lucky dog. Luck means I have no control, no happenstance. It's just fatalistic. Blessed means that there's a God in this universe who, who, who has a way and a plan. And if I will live life according to his way and his plan, that he will bless me. And he doesn't bless me just so that I'm blessed. He blesses me. He puts the ing on my blessing. And he blesses me to be a blessing to someone else. God will get it through me if he can just get it to me. And, and, and at the end of the day, the reality is, is that I'm just supposed to love people. Just be kind to people. Don't be a jerk. Well, that's my neighbor. Who's a jerk to me? Or it's a coworker who's a total idiot. You don't work at places like that, do you? Or my boss who's clueless, who has, doesn't even live in the same orbit that I'm in. Or to a friend at school. Or to someone who I have helped time and time and time and time and time and time again, and yet they don't do anything for me. Or it's someone that I do not know. I love them. I just serve them through loving them. Why? Because that's how God loved me when I was imperfect, when I was jacked up, when I was messed up. Heck, I'm still jacked up and messed up. And God still loves me and he loves you. And that's the greatest thing. And I don't mean to sound like a a tree-hugging, groovy chuck, granola-eating hippie, but I'm telling you, it's all about love, baby. It will change the world. That's why Jesus Christ laid down his life. While we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and died for us. I love John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That word so means without strings or without condition. And I know I say it all the time, but think about it. Put it in the crock pot of your, of your soul and let's let it marinate for a while. Because at the end of the day, you give it. God loved us just because. Because he chose to. Not because we did anything, not because we could bring anything for him. He just loved us just because he chose to. And he didn't just say, oh, I have this warm feeling for you, and I don't want you to die and go to hell in your own sin, but I, you know, I'm not going to do anything about it because it's not an action. I just got this warm, gooey feeling towards you. No, he gave his only begotten son. He gave so that we could live. He loved so that we could love other people. We are blessed to be a blessing. And I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about your attitude. I'm talking about your heart. I'm talking about your actions. I'm talking about how you treat people at the mall. This Friday, when you're fighting over a $2 toaster. No, you go ahead and have it. No, you take it. No, you have it. No, no, you take it. I mean, people stampede people over goofy stuff, and there's only 10 of them in the store. There's 1,000 people. They're not all going to get the flat screen for $10. I've done it. I've tried it. I'm telling you, sleep in. It's not worth it. And if you're going to be there, be nice. And if you're not, don't wear a Life Church shirt. <laughs> Dignity. Dignity. When he talks about feeding the hungry and giving water to the thirsty, 
and clothing the naked. Dignity means that I recognize and I respect the worth of every single person on this planet. I recognize and I respect the worth of every single person on this planet. We as Americans are not good at this. I'm just telling you. I don't know if it's the way we're taught. I don't know if it's our, just our limited worldview. But we think we're all that. You can tell Americans outside of the United States. And I love America. I mean, God bless it. I mean, I'm telling you. I love, I don't, I, I am totally a patriot. But we really think we're all that. And when I serve other people, and I give to other people food and water and clothing, basic necessities, and I serve them, I basically reverse the desensitization, desensitization that I have. See, we're desensitized in this world. Meaning, I don't even know if desensitization is even a word. I may have just invented it right there. <laughs> Put it in the dictionary. But it's the things you say on the anointing. But we are desensitized because we see pictures and we hear numbers and stats. And I'm telling you, when you go to a, an orphanage full of HIV-positive babies, and you pick them up, and you hold them in your hand, you realize that the God of the universe spoke this life into existence. And that they, just like you and I, are fearfully and wonderfully made according to the gospel of Isaiah. Jeremiah said that there's a future and a hope. When you go and, and you go into the slums of a third world country, and you realize because of your $2 a day that this child in front of you is eating a meal, being clothed, and getting educated and learning about Jesus. And you walk into the eight foot by eight foot room, this little metal hut that you think is a room, which actually is a house. And you realize that because of your service to them, there's no pride or arrogance in that. I'm telling you, you want to drop on your knees and wash their feet. Because you look into their eyes and you go, that's not a stat. That's not some picture on some Compassion International Mission of Mercy on my refrigerator. That, that girl is the same age as my daughter. And you realize, because in most of these situations, the men are gone. But how would you feel if you as a man trying to eke out an existence on a dollar a day and feed your family and clothe your family and educate your family and put a roof over their head and you're, you're, you're not able to do so because a dollar just doesn't stretch that far. Your dignity is stripped. You are completely demoralized. And most of the men leave. But when you and I serve by giving and going, when we feed the hungry, when we clothe the naked, when we give water, whether it's a fresh well water where the entire village or the entire area comes in and gets the fresh water, and we do that in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we bring dignity to those people. We bring dignity to their life. We bring that, and we're just saying, look, I'm just one beggar to another beggar where to find food. I am blessed to be a blessing. I have a responsibility unto you to give. It's not about money. It's not about time. It's about my responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ to see the need of someone. The Bible says, what compassion do you have to see your brother in need and turn around and walk away? That's why people don't like to show up on missions weekends or mission giving weekends or go on mission trips because we really don't want our senses to be assaulted in that way. I don't like it. 
When I was at Kenya in, 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 in the spring of last year, and I'm going back this next year, I kept my Oakleys on almost the whole time because I was bawling. I, I, and I'm not a crier, but I was so like, oh, my goodness, can I get any lower than the floor? I mean, I'm so unworthy. And I'm not saying that for emotional effect. I'm telling you. Because I realize, but I realize as I'm serving, I'm giving dignity. I realize as I'm, as I'm feeding, I'm giving dignity. As I'm helping clothe, I'm giving dignity. I realize that's what I'm doing for that child or for that mom or for that family. It's what you do, Life Church. It's not about a check. It's not about money. God doesn't care about your money. It's about these are people that Jesus Christ died for. And their life and their value is just as much as yours and just as much as mine, even though they don't make as much, even though they don't, aren't able to give anything. And I'm not for redistribution of wealth, and I'm not for welfare. I don't think it holds any theological water whatsoever. But I do believe, according to Scripture, that we have responsibility to the poor. We have responsibility to minister to the widows and to the orphans of this world. We're not going to be, listen, I, I can't be judged based on whether someone goes to an abortion clinic or not. But I, can be, but I will be judged based on what I did to help the orphans of the world. Now you can put that in your pipe and smoke it all day long, but I'm telling you, that thing works. Because at the end of the day, that's what I'm judged for. And we evangelical Christians think, well, we're going to be judged for these people going to these abortion clinics, and abortion's wrong, and it's a sin, and I get all that kind of stuff. I understand the mentality. But there are millions, millions, and millions of orphans in this world, and we in our pious, arrogant evangelicalism want to talk about the sins over here when we've got a gaping hole over here. And God says, what about these people? That's the work of the gospel. That's the work of the kingdom. And it's not social gospel. It's the gospel. I know, I know I'm getting excited. But I'm just saying. And I see that. And it rips your heart out. Because it, and it infuriates me to talk to church people who think it's about a dollar or about an offering. It's about people. That's what Jesus said. That's the reason why he was so easy to go, well, I can't believe that God would send people to hell. He doesn't. We willfully walk there when we choose to turn a blind eye to people. And again, this works, man, this dog will hunt whether you're talking about your neighborhood or your city or your nation or the world. It doesn't matter. It's loving people. It's serving people. And advocacy. It's the last word. When you saw me sick and you came to me. When I was in prison and you came to me. We become a voice for those who have no voice. That's what you do. You become encouragement to the sick and the bound. And, and, and the imprisonment isn't just like, um, it's not just physically in prison ministry, although that's a great thing. It, it, it's about serving people that are bound. You know, one of my favorite places to go is Teen Challenge. It's a, it's a, a center, it's a ministry that you support, we support, that helps uh, um, adults and teenagers get off drugs and alcohol and addictive behaviors. Because when you go and you minister there, you realize that you're reaching out to people that are bound in their own sin. They're, they're prisoners in their own bodies. And you bring hope and you bring life. Tammy and I were shopping the other day. We were at Bayshore on the east side. And we had just had some lunch and, and, and grabbed a coffee at Altera. And we're, and we're motoring through that area. And I walked into a store and I was asking the sales guy about a sweater. And he goes, hey, aren't you the pastor at Life Church?" I said, yeah, yeah. I gotta, yeah. He goes, man, I was in Teen Challenge. And he said, and I said, how are you doing? Because that's a big deal. I had a brother that went through Teen Challenge. 
to be able to go and to, and to get reintroduced into society with all the temptation and everything so that you don't go back to the same stuff. I'm doing good, I'm doing good. He said, man, I just want to tell you. He said, dude, I, used to, I came to your church, loved it. And, uh, and he said, I, I just want, and just the times you guys would come and support, and he just, and he was just, he just was saying thank you. Because when I was in prison and when I was sick and I was down, it was people like you that showed up and they helped. Tammy and I, in our youth ministry, we were, we were um, in the same city where the Assemblies of God has a, a children's home. And it's basically kids that are been kicked out of foster care. Their parents don't want them. Nobody really wants them. And we would show up for lunch. They would invite us to go to lunch on Sundays. And there were probably 200 kids there. And these are kids that nobody wants from all, all over America. And, I mean, we would spend just hours going table to table, what's up, high five, talking trash and smack, because that just made them feel like, you know, everything was cool, and we were youth pastors. And, and uh, I'll never forget a Thanksgiving, the best Thanksgiving ever, chicken dressing, you name it, whatever, ever. There were seven or eight kids that nobody wanted. Their parents didn't want them. The parents said, don't send them back. There was no foster care that would take them. They were teenagers. There was a couple of house parents that were stuck with them that weekend. That's kind of how it was laid out to us. And so we said, you know what? We'll stay. We're like the youth pastors in you know, a local town. So there's like 150 kids, 200 kids in our youth group. And so all of a sudden, man, it's like, they're here. Like Pastor Kevin Noel. I'm way cooler than Pastor Kevin Noel. But yeah. <laughs> we're here. And we said, and they goes, you want to spend Thanksgiving with us? I said, the whole day. We're not going home to family. We're not seeing anybody. We're hanging out with you. We're going to eat like there is no tomorrow. And if the food they serve us stinks, I'll buy for everybody. We're going to play. We're going to have fun. I mean, we hung out the entire day with those kids. The best, the best Thanksgiving I've ever had in my life. Why? Because it's advocacy. You're giving, you're giving a voice to people that have no voice. You're giving encouragement to people that have no encouragement. See, it's all about hope. That's this hope revolution that we're talking about. It's all about hope. We bring hope. We give people confidence that God hears. When you and I go, it's this revolution of hope. We give people confidence that God sees. We give people confidence that God cares. We give people confidence that God helps. I can't tell you how many times I've been, or we've had a missionary that's been, and gone and met a need, and people said, you were exactly what I was praying for, and, and, and you were exactly what I needed, and I was about to lose it all, but you showed up, and you did this, and you did that, and, and, and we, you become Jesus with skin on. You see, our presence physically and spiritually and monetarily. It, it, it's a message of hope. That's our mission. Our mission is hope. G, the, the, Jesus Christ is the answer for the world, but how he gives that to the world is to the local church. The local church is the hope of the world. Listen, as great of many organizations and humanitarian aid organizations, as great as they can be, the only thing that will change this world will not be power, will not be politics, will not be social reform or economic reform. It will be the local church. And if you and I will roll up our sleeves and quit telling people what we're against, and just serve them, just love them, just advocate for them, just, just meet them right where we are. We're going to see a revolution of hope that will open people's lives because we're to give hope. We're to go in hope. We're to be hope around the corner and around the world. The world that we're living in wants hope, and you're it. And is that not amazing? Is that not amazing that you and I get to be that carrier of hope? We get to be the hope of the world? I mean, that's a pretty stinking cool deal. 
Jesus says that the church, that my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that I will build it, that it will be a prevailing church and a growing church and, and a dynamic church. And, and, and you may go, why are you so pumped about the church? Because the church is not about steeples and stained glass and buildings made by the hands of men and women. It's hearts and lives of men and women and people that are going to the highways, the byways and the, and the hedges and compelling people to come in. By what? By preaching and browbeating? No, that's what I do to you. It's about us loving them serving them. Listen, God doesn't even condemn them. The Bible says it's their sin that condemns them. Who are you and I to condemn them? Look, I learned a long time ago, Jesus said we're to be fishers of men. That means we catch the fish and God cleans the fish. And if I quit trying to clean and I just work on catching, it's a whole lot funner. It's a, that's, it, that's a word, funner. It's a whole lot more fun. It's a whole lot less messy. And everybody likes it a lot better. So how do I do that practically today? I'm so glad you asked. On the backside of your communication card, there are mission trips that you can say, I'd like to have more information. Go ahead and grab that card. We're, I'm done. Imagine that. And I would say to you, just pray and say, God, should I go on a mission trip? Should I be a part of a mission trip this year? And you may go, oh, I don't have money to go on a mission trip. Can I give you an inside secret? You're never going to have money to go on a mission trip. I don't have time. You're never going to have time. It's never going to be convenient to go. But if you feel the tug of the Lord, just pray about it. You don't have to just, and, and check off a box or a couple boxes. And just because you do it doesn't mean you're obligating yourself. It just saying, hey, I'm interested in doing this. You know, mission trips and this kind of a conversation with adults reminds me a lot of when Jesus walked on the water and the disciples were in the boat. And the Bible says that they saw Jesus coming. They thought he was a ghost, but yet he began to speak to them. And they realized that he wasn't. So there were 12 guys in the boat, but one guy, Peter, who, if you read the life of Peter, he was a pretty jacked up guy. He really. He was embarrassed of Christ. He was scared for his life. He cursed God and said he didn't know him. It's a pretty big deal. He gets out of the boat. And we always talk about Jesus walking on water, but Peter walked on the water. And I, must, and I think sometimes, what was going on in the mind of the other 11? Because me, I'd be like flopping out of the boat. I'd be trying to get out there. Woo, let's get out. Because, I mean, let's just try it. And that's a lot of with mission trips. I, I meet people that go, you know what? I'm going to decide. I'm going to try to do something. I'm going to take a step of faith. And I'm just going to get out of the boat. And, and, and if I sink, I swim, whatever. It's up to him. But I'm just going to try this. Because I'm never going to have enough money. I'm never going to have enough time. I'm just gonna do it. And I'm not telling you to go and just swipe your way to happiness with a credit card and put it, do a mission trip. But what I am saying is just be open. And say, God, where, would you like me to go? Because I'm telling you. This whole thing about missions and about serving and about loving the world is caught, not taught. I, I believe that. I'm telling you. I can talk until I'm blue in the face, but till you go, it's hard to see. The second thing is, is, is that faith promise right above that. If you're a regular attender to Life Church and you've never done anything specifically for missions, above and beyond your tithe, above and beyond any other commitment that you may have, I would encourage you, I mean, I would triple dog dare you to begin to give something on a weekly amount for missions. Five bucks a week, that's like a value meal at McDonald's. And if you supersize it, it's, it's more expensive to go to McDonald's than it is for this. Trust me, I know. But do it. if you are doing something, do a little bit more. See, because here's the thing is, we, we budget and we plan and we scheme to save and to get and, and, to, and to spend 
But do you have a plan to give? Do you have a strategic plan to say, here's where I'm at today, but I want to be here. So this is how I'm going to work my way. I'm just telling you. Because the Bible says that wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. And that we can, by giving and going, we're able to lay treasures up in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves don't break in and steal. This is an opportunity to do this. And you so wonderfully, last weekend there was 90-some-odd, like $92,000 that came in last weekend in Faith Promises. Amazing. So um, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm just saying this, and I told you last weekend, pray about it, process it. And so you have this weekend and next weekend in order to say, I want to be a part of this. You're not going to be like, this isn't like some deal that if you don't give it, you owe so much, we're mad at you. We're, no, 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 we're not calling a credit agency. This doesn't affect your credit scores. Or This is just a faith promise. As God enables me. I want to step out. I want to do something. But I encourage you to budget that and do that. And the last thing is uh, just that right now is join me next weekend. And pray about what you want to do to be a part of the one day to feed the world offering. The Bible says, he who, the, he who gives to the poor lends to God. If you ever wanted God to be a debtor to you, not my words, or his words. Give to the poor. Not to the pastor, to the poor. Not to your special project, to the poor. And so next weekend, you got an opportunity that beyond your, your regular giving of tithe, to be able to take, to take one day's wage. Just take your salary, divide it by 260 days. I think that's for five days if you do a five-day work week. Or 365, you do a seven-day work week. And just divide it by that and just bring that as a special offering. For some of you, that's going to be a huge sacrifice. Huge. It's between you and the Lord. I'm just giving you an opportunity. I'm not telling you what to do. I promise you, it will be so downplayed next week. It'll be like, here's an opportunity to do this. We've been talking about this for two weeks. I don't need to take a long time. Here's what you're able to do. This is your time to do this. Here's a special envelope to do this in. We're going to take up this offering. And all of it, all of it's going to Convoy of Hope. None of it's staying here. There's no overhead charges. There's no salaries. There's no any cut. There's no whatever. There's no, all of it goes. I just checked the, the finances. And as of the end of last month, we're $32,000 in the red in missions. We stay in the red in missions all the time because we're not leaving anything for the Antichrist, right? So the trumpet of the Lord's sound time will be no more. It's not going to be here in this church. And the second thing is, is that my whole philosophy is, is that's, what, that's the great commission. It's what we're called to do. And if we don't do it, who is going to do it? So we're just going to give it, give it, give it, give it, give it. And then some. And, uh, and you go, well, where does that money come from? The, that comes out of the general fund. That's what offsets it. So it's an opportunity for you to be able to give. And, and let me say something, because I encounter this, this sometimes. Nobody's said anything to me, but this is just something I, the Lord's kind of dropped in my heart. Is that somebody or some people get mad about that? And here's what you get mad about. You say, in this downturn of economy and what's happening and everything that's going on, how in the world can you stand up there and ask me to do that? First of all, I'm not asking. I'm just giving you an opportunity. But secondly, what you're so ticked off about is this. You've been able to give out of your abundance. And now you're having to give out of sacrifice. And God's trying to teach you. Are you going to not just trust me in the abundant years, but are you going to trust me in the lean years? Am I just going to be God when you're on the mountaintop, or am I going to be God when you're in the valley? That's a lordship issue for you to wrestle with, not for me to wrestle with. And you can get mad, and you can leave church, you can do whatever you want to do, but it's not me that's talking to you, it's the Lord. I'm just giving you an opportunity.